What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Today's interview is with my friend Carlos Gonzalez de Villa Ambrosia, who's the founder and CEO of Product School. He talks all about how he built Product School up from just a few people coming to his events to today where he has over 1 million members in the community. Uh, it's all driven by education and they provide trainings and certification for people who want to become product managers. So for anyone who's interested in how to monetize your community through education, training, certifications, we go really deep into his business model here and you'll gain a really awesome understanding of how to combine content and community to build a successful business. All right, lots of stuff in the weeds in this one, a lot of little tactics. You're gonna learn a ton, enjoy. So long time coming for us to have this chat. You and I have known each other for a long time, going all the way back to our days at 500 Startups. You were working on a startup called Flock, which was in the online education space in Latin America. And I was working on Feast, an online cooking school, which was completely random for me. But um, you've continued on the path of, of online learning, and you've done so much incredible work since then. Those were wild, wild days back in 500 Startups. I, I still can't believe it was like three months that were just a complete blur in that accelerator. That was so crazy. Summer of 2013. Yeah. And uh, we were literally next to each other, almost sleeping under our desks, working every yeah. single night, hustling and learning from each other. Uh, I'm glad that uh, we shared this journey together. It was really like just being thrown into the fire of Silicon Valley, just yeah, every day, all day, being in that same office with all other like young entrepreneurs. Looking back now, do you feel like you knew what you were doing back then? I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, <me neither. laughs> I just said yes, yeah. <laughs> showed up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I feel like at the time I was like overconfident because I was still, like a young entrepreneur. I was like, I could do anything. But looking back now, I'm like, what the hell were we all doing there? It's a, it's a shock. Any of the companies survived from that. I don't know if anyone has, actually. I don't remember. But what I definitely remember is that I, I kept in touch with amazing people like yourself. Uh, some of our mentors are now instructors at my current company. Same. And in a way, the model of the Startup Accelerator inspired me to create a similar model applied to product managers. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, the, the sense of community you get from like going through that experience together and absolutely I've stayed in touch with you and uh, a number of other uh, companies and founders, uh, mentors. I still have mentors. That my, my biggest mentor is someone that I met through 500 was Heaton Shah. And I still go to him all the time for advice. So Shout out to Heaton. He was a speaker at Broad School as well. And I uh, hosted him for my podcast last week. Oh, really? Good. So he's, he's getting a lot of buzz right now. He deserves it. He's amazing. Awesome. So I uh, would love in, in just a few minutes if you could kind of share your story going from Flock to now Product School and tell us, you know, wh wh why did you decide to build this community? Sure. So I was born and raised in Spain and uh, I suddenly received that email from someone at 500 Startups saying, we want to invest in your company and you have one week up or out. And I said, yes. I convinced my existing investors to allow me to do that. And I showed up literally with a backpack full of dreams in Silicon Valley summer of 2013. I love and hate education, I must say. And I think it's because I not always had access to the best mentors where I grew up and I was always seeking for 
advice. And I also wanted to decide what I really wanted to learn. I think I felt trapped in this traditional education system where I had to spend four years full time to maybe get to what I wanted, but I didn't really know. So I was, I've always been very curious around how can I learn what I want from what, from who I want. And thank God being part of a startup accelerator helped me with my previous business, but also helped me really understand this, how you can really get access to incredible people. So that startup didn't work out. Uh, it was an online education marketplace where we wanted to allow anyone to learn anything similar to maybe a YouTube for education or what today is uh, Udemy.com. Mm -hmm. So the idea is, <laughs> worked for Udemy because they raised a bunch of money. It just didn't work for us. Also, we were targeting a different market. Our our niche was uh, Spanish-speaking speakers. Right. Well, it's not really a niche. But anyway, after four years grinding, I realized that uh, this wasn't really going to work. So I decided to start something new, which is what I'm doing today, product school. I started this company six years ago, um, the opposite of what I did before, literally. It's a bootstrap business, so I didn't raise any money. I think I was a little bit burnt out from my experience raising money, so I just wanted to be happy mm -hmm. and build something that, that works, that is profitable, that where I can also spend the time with my customers. Weird. Right? So weird. It's just the definition of a business. <laughs> How dare you do that in Silicon Valley? So I faced a lot of pressure, right? Like the typical questions were always, how much money did you raise? How big is your team? Mm -hmm. So anyway, six years forward, we are the largest community of product managers with over 1 million members all around the world. Wow. And I say community because this was something very important for me since the beginning. Most of the resources that we put out are absolutely free. So in terms of books, jobs portal, discussion forums, reports, we put together a thousand events per year, six conferences, and all of that is absolutely free. Then the way we kind of monetize the community and reinvest into growth is through education. We also offer paid programs for people who are very serious about getting a product management job or a promotion in product. So what was the big thing that helped you grow that community? One million members, that, that's pretty huge. Or actually, before we dive into like the, the tactics, like what do people actually do in the community? What, what are kind of the different elements of your community programs? So our community is very much focused on employment because I think that goes back to my uh, relationship with education. I never understood why education was so disconnected from employment. So I really wanted to create something so practical where if you come to product school, this is because you want to get your first product management job. Mm -hmm. Eventually, as, as we scale the community, then we also built more programs for experienced product managers who wanted to continue growing and, and get that next promotion. But it's very tied to employment. So, for example, we have a jobs portal uh, where companies are posting opportunities these days. We have uh, interview cheat sheets from community members that have an experience interviewing at Google, for example, and they crowdsource their knowledge and tell us exactly what happened there. We have templates to help people build roadmaps and different deliverables that other PMs face every single day. What was it that made your community so successful? Because there, there are other communities for product managers out there, right? Or, or was there not really when you first started? So there was some content out there, but there wasn't really a community. And I think that's the key. I wanted to bring the community together and create some frameworks that work because you can Wikipedia things, but you don't really know if that's true or not. So I think the key was one, we were the first movers. Uh, two, we were absolutely focused on product. I think it's so easy to get distracted as I did in my previous business and try to teach anything to anyone mm -hmm. that I really wanted to help a very, very small group of people. So now it sounds very big, right? That we are 1 million members, but in reality, it started with one 
and then with two, and then with 10. So that was really my obsession. I, I didn't have the ambition to build something huge or create a unicorn. I just wanted mm. to be happy and make sure that whoever joins that community gets value. Yeah, I think like I tweeted this other day, most most big communities were started by people who meant to build small communities. Absolutely. So how did it start? What, what were like the first steps? What were the kind of early days of product school? So early days, I leave my previous company and my wife asked me to take two months off. I can't help it. And I decided to uh, start doing things on the side. So uh, General Assembly just launched a course on product management. They, they're a huge platform. They teach so many different digital skills. So mm -hmm. I had a relationship with, with some of the founders and they invited me to teach the very first cohort in product. So I was like, cool, this is very low commitment. I can do it on the side and I can still feel like a founder almost in the room. And I think I have a lot to give back because uh, I've been grinding for so many years and building digital products myself. The thing is, I never got that learning in an engineering school or in a business school. Right. So that's what I did. I loved it so much that then I went back to the founders and said, hey guys, this is amazing. We should really build something big to focus on product because this is not coding. This is not design. Trust me, there are a lot of people who care about product. You know, and some say like, yeah, yeah, but you know, we're making so much money with coding that this is never going to be as important. So that was the final trigger for me to create a dedicated community on product. So I decided to do two things that work really well for me. One is um, host free events on meetup.com mm -hmm. every week. And I was you know, doing one, two hour sessions on prototyping, roadmapping, and some of the things that I knew well. Every week? Every single week, at least oh. once a week. And you were teaching the content or you brought in other people? At the beginning, it was all me. Because, it was all uh, you. Wow. Uh, and then for the first almost two years, it was all me. And that's what people don't see. You know, like you look now mm. at some of the speakers that we have, like, okay, the VP of product at Netflix and the VP of product at Google. Yeah, it took a lot of time, you know. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, so I started doing all of this in person. And then online, I was very active on Quora. I blogged two to three hours per day to answer every single question on product management. Yeah. And I became the most popular writer on product. But my goal here wasn't as opposed to a traditional blog where you put something out and you don't really know who's reading Quora, you know who's asking the question. So you can literally help at least one person and then follow up with this person and connect with that person on LinkedIn and then invite them to my in-person event. So I, I was literally going one by one. And it's all because I knew that in order for me to be profitable or break even, I just need to help four or five people, right? So that was my obsession. I, I literally invested all my time and I just don't, didn't want to kind of disturb the idea by trying to raise money and and, and lose on, on the quality. Hmm. Super interesting. Yeah, there, there's a lot of parallels I'm seeing too with CMX, which we started around the same exact time. We started in 2014, actually the end of 2013. And similarly, it was like community would have kind of some content in like the marketing conferences, but no one was ever going to give community its own event or its own community. Um, and so that's, that's how CMX started. So similarly, it sounds like product was kind of the the stepchild of all the engineering courses and all the other trainings. It's like, eh, we'll add on a product course. And, and you saw an opportunity and you saw the need for a dedicated community and space for that kind of education. Definitely. And I didn't mention this at the beginning. I studied computer science and then I also went to business school. And I realized both in engineering school that nobody was really thinking business or teaching anything other than coding. And then in business school, there were a lot of people who actually wanted to get their hands dirty, but in reality, there wasn't a single class on product, digital marketing, community, or any of the digital skills that some of us apply 
every day. So I kind of felt that need to, to fill in the gap and create a hybrid in between engineering and a business school. Got it. And those events that you're doing on Meetup, those were virtual or in person? They were all in person in San Francisco. Okay. I literally rented a shared desk in a co-working space. And then I asked them to let me use their lobby every single week. It was good for wow. them because I would be bringing a lot of uh, client, potential clients to them. And those meetups became fairly popular. Uh, I was getting yeah. at least 50 people every week. How many did you have at like, the first few events? Uh, the first event, maybe 20 max. Okay. And it was kind of a bummer, but I was like, whatever. Uh, yeah. It's just repetition, right? And, that's great. That's a great person. <laughs> uh, I also started hosting events at other coworking spaces. I realized that a lot of them do lunch and learn sessions. So I would right. literally show up and say, hey, can I help the community here and teach something about product management? They're like, sure, do it. Right. So that's exactly how I did it. I, I almost had two full-time jobs. One is to run the business and try to market what I do and, and, and all of that. And then the other one was to actual, actually deliver the, the training and presentations. Right. And so it sounds like one thing you've done really well is you've you kind of like find opportunities to tap into existing platforms where, you know, people have needs and are already kind of sharing those needs. So Quora being a virtual space, uh, but co-working spaces are all looking for content constantly. So you were able to really just put yourself in a position to be as helpful as possible on a personal level. That's a very good point, because it's true, I leverage other people's platforms instead of trying to build my own and, and get distracted, right. at least at first. And so, okay, so you had 20, then 50 people at each event. How many people are at your conference now? Oh, my God. The last in-person conference that we did was uh, February of this year. We got over 2,000 people in London. So we do. We used to do five in-person conferences called ProductCon, San Francisco, New York. Five conferences a year? Yeah, in-person. Oh so San Francisco, New York... Seattle, LA, and London, and they all get at least 2,000 people each. Mm -hmm. And now that we are doing everything online, the last one got over 100,000 viewers. Oh my God. Okay. So for anyone who's concerned about starting with 20 people at their event and think that it's too small, this is a, an example of starting, starting small is actually the greatest way to get to a big community. Five conferences is wild too. We, we did three the first year of CMX, which was stupid. And then we dialed it back to two, and now we just do one a year. We're doing more now because virtual is a little bit of a lower lift. How big is your team that runs all these events? What what does your community team look like? So the community team is five people, and we also produce a lot of events. So we do at least two events per day, plus the six conferences. And then we also have a, a podcast. So basically, in addition to the community team that's in, in charge of the event production, we also have a talent team that's in charge of recruiting all the different speakers that participate at our events. Two events per day. Two events per day. It's almost like a TV show. That's wild. And they're free. <laughs> they're free. Two events per day. Is that work days or every day? Every day. So Monday through Friday is twice a day, and then once on Saturdays and once on Sundays. Wow. Where are you hosting those? We use LinkedIn a lot. That's our main platform. How many people attend those daily events? Oh, it really varies depending on, on the topic and the speaker, but a minimum of 50 people, and then it can go up to a thousand. The good thing is that all of that content gets recorded right. so people can consume it on demand afterwards. And then we like to repurpose content and create a, a podcast episode, right. blog articles, even ebooks. So 
we try, we also have a content team so that is in charge of all the post production so when we think about community i think there are so many angles to it right because it starts with talent acquisition for all the speakers the, the actual content production or sorry the event production but then it's all the the content production in all the different formats that you can possibly imagine how do you even have enough speakers in the world of product to do two events a day and how does such a small team produce so many multiple conferences per year and two events per day? Like, what's been the key to scaling up to that level? If you asked me this question a few years ago, I would say, I have no idea that so many people even exist that think about or care about product management, right? But I think we tapped into something that people was really craving. There are so many events out there for founders and CEOs. They get all the credit. But that next line, the, the product leaders, they don't get enough credit. They didn't have a platform where they could shine. And this really resonated with a lot of them because we don't ask them to quit their jobs or put their lives on hold. We just ask them to give back to the community as much as they want. And this really, they didn't have a product school before. So they really hope that the next generation can get access to some of the resources that they didn't. And um, we started by asking, literally, I asked, well, first it was myself, then my network, 500 Startups was definitely very helpful in that. I went to Berkeley and I also knew a lot of people from there. Uh, but then at some point, it started branching out to friends of friends. And now we have a dedicated talent team that's in charge of recruiting, literally, uh, some of those speakers. And it's not really recruiting because we are not hiring people. We are just offering the opportunity to participate for as little as 30 minutes. And it's very easy to say yes. We, we take care of everything for them. And I think that's the key. We have automated the entire process. So if you say yes and you want to participate, you just have to show up. What, what's the format of the events? Is it interview style, presentation, both? Both. We do five chats, we do webinars, we do workshops as well, uh, panel discussions. I love this stuff. So I'm all for always trying something something new. I'm, tr- I'm, sorry, I'm trying to understand. So, you know, we run a lot of events, but every event we host, you know, you have to find the speaker and make sure the content is good quality. You have to set up the pages. You have to promote the event. How have you operationalized that so that you're able to do two a day? How does that not completely overwhelm your team? Well, I would say we are a community first type of business. So this is our life. This is not an afterthought where someone thinks, okay, we should do an event and bring an influencer. No, no, this is our life. So the entire company is is structured around it. So now I think when you mentioned about how is my community team structured, in reality, we don't have a community team per se because everyone is part of that process from talent recruitment to the event production, content production, engineering, right. uh, the platform, the, all the automations that go to social media. So it's really a team sport here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always say that community is actually the job of everyone in the company because you're all building a product for the community or marketing to the community or messaging to the community or supporting the community. The community team's job is to facilitate interaction between those members. That's what the community team does. That aligns really well. That's super impressive. I love, and it kind of puts on display the power of that community-first mindset for businesses and how much it can scale so, okay, so you were running these events, they started doing well. How did those kind of early days of doing those meetups and answering questions convert into a million members? Was it just like a gradual organic increase over time? Or were there specific things that you did to really accelerate growth to get to that level? Well, 
I am a product person, so I like to think uh, of my company as a product and how can we scale certain parts of it. The thing is, in reality, we will start it as a service. So it's really hard to scale my time. And that's fine. I intentionally didn't want to scale myself because I really wanted to make sure that the quality was there. So for the first almost two years, I was literally participating as a speaker in every single workshop, in every single class, really going the extra mile to make sure that all the students would get what they wanted, either introductions to new companies, promotions, like mm-hmm. literally whatever they wanted. This is this is my name. At that point, it was almost Carlos School <laughs> more than yeah. product school. Right. And it, it took me time to feel comfortable delegating because who else is going to teach this with the same level of passion? Right. Well, surprise, surprise, a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> and actually much better than me. So the instructors who teach at product school today are product leaders at Google, Facebook, Uber, Airbnb. And that's very powerful for the community because they get to learn from practitioners, but also for the actual instructors because they finally have an avenue to give back to the community without having to stop their life or quit their jobs. Right. How did you grow that user base or that that member base? So consistency. I didn't give up. Still to this day, I'm thinking about where the next million users are. And uh, the key to that for me was, if this works, obviously, if the content that we are putting out uh, works and people like it, then we should do more of it. If it doesn't, we should change it. So every single Wednesday, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do something. And I'm also going to learn. Yes, I may be teaching you something, but I'm also learning something. So at some point, we decided to scale to different cities and create chapters. Right. So we were hosting events, same one weekly event in New York, in LA, in Los Angeles, and all of those events were still managed by the team in-house. Eventually, we also created a community program for volunteers to be able to organize their own events in cities where we didn't have a physical presence. And that was incredible because at some point we have over 150 cities worldwide, most of them run by volunteers where they were hosting different events. Some of them would be once a week, some of them once a quarter, but there was something going on. And I think it was a gradual process where we had to learn how to let go while still keeping certain elements of our brand uh, so we could make sure that the the experience is is good. Totally. Where does most of the growth come from? Where do do members come from? Is it just content and then they subscribe to an email list? Yeah, so our main audience is in North America. Uh, although they sell, we have a global footprint, and then they usually start with uh, content. It can be either an event, or it can be also joining our blog, which is pretty popular, or some of our premium resources. We also like to put together books, another, an annual report on the future of product management, a job portal. But yeah, you usually start with a couple of touch points. It's not just one. It's usually recurring value. And then at some point, there's a certain percentage of students who, who want to take that next step and pay for some of our certification programs. Got it. I have questions about that, how you distinguish between paid and free. But okay, so so most people are coming through the content and they love the content. So they subscribe to your blog, to your newsletter, and, and then you're promoting the events to them and the content to them. So it's kind of cyclical. Anything that's worked really well for you to promote your events and get people in the room? Yes. So we put a lot of effort into the quality of the speakers. And that is critical for us. So we literally go for the best in the world. Mm -hmm. And we can think as big as we want. And that's that's what I push my team to go. Like, who is literally the best product in the world? Who is behind the scenes? And we're targeting 
chief product officers at Waze, Waymo, Facebook, LinkedIn, Uber. And now, because some of their friends have been part of the community for a long time, then they're also inclined to accept. So I think there's now a lot of word of mouth going on at the highest level of product leaders. Right. Uh, so that is probably what drives the largest audience. What worked in the earlier days as you were growing the community to get people in the room? In the earlier days, so I found this incredible person who is a top rec- product recruiter at LinkedIn, <laughs> who, who eventually said yes to me. Mm-hmm. He couldn't believe that I was call emailing him and, and you know using all of the tactics that we learned in the accelerator to, to try to raise money. The difference is that in this case, I wasn't really raising any money. I just wanted to, to learn from someone and offer them my stage. And he said, yes, he said, I wish I had something like this when I was getting started. And that was a key moment because he was the top product recruiter at LinkedIn. He used to work with Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook before he was working with literally the co-founder of LinkedIn at that time. Mm -hmm. So the community that we had at that point was like, okay, this is a nice upgrade from Carlos. (laughs) And then we little by little, we we tapped into this type of network. and, And at some point I tried to I still like to participate, but but um, I'm not the best product manager, and I have no problem saying that. And I'm very proud to be surrounded by literally the best product people in the world. And I ask them this question, okay, you are amazing, who else is awesome? And they always give me two or three names, and then we go to these people, and so on. Got it. So you start growing all your content. Now, now you have this massive database. You're doing two events a day. You're recording lots of talks. You have amazing speakers. I think so. There's a lot of people right now out there who are creators of content and they're trying to figure out how to build community around them. They're also trying to figure out how to monetize and, and figure out where's that line between the free content and the paid comment content. So what do people pay for in product school when so much of this is free? Are, are the classes free as well? So over 90% of our resources are absolutely free. Our only paid offering are the certification, product management certifications. So these are 40 hour long training programs live online. So literally you spend 40 hours with a product leader from a company like Facebook or Google to teach you how to build digital products. And also we help you get a product management job. So that program costs $4,000. And then we also have advanced programs for people who are already product managers who want to get the next promotion. In total, we have three. It's called Product Manager Certificate, Product Leader Certificate, and Product Executive Certificate. And so you don't teach those courses. You have other experts teach those certification courses. Correct. I'm curious, how do you, because we're thinking about this too with like the community industry, how do you create a certification for an industry when it doesn't exist already and make sure that it's like actually legit? That's so exciting. And that's exactly where we are building, right? Like there was nothing out there and we have the opportunity to create it. So I cannot do it myself. And the only way for this to be legit is to bring the very best. And that's what we are doing. First of all, we've been around for over six years and uh, we are surrounded by some of the best product leaders. They not only come here to give a master talk, they build curriculum, they share good practices. We are in touch with tons of companies as well that build products for product managers who are contributing to curriculum, offering their products. And together we are co-creating a set of best practices that other companies should implement at a high level in order to accelerate their time to market. Which is at the end of the day, I can't just bring a playbook to every single company and say, and this is what you have to follow, right? But I can definitely bring you the best practices based on what incredible companies are following. 
Okay, so I'm trying to understand like the hierarchy of content here. So you have these like deep dive certification courses that are four weeks, you said? They are 40 hours. So usually it's it's two months. Okay, so two months, 40 hours uh, taught by an instructor. At the end, do you take like a test to get certified? Yes. Right. And that's just based on the content in the course. It's not based on any other content that you offer. Correct. And we we build that content. So we have a dedicated team of instructional designers mm-hmm. and subject matter experts that are constantly updating curriculum. Not like in a traditional university where you know things have been there forever. We literally update content every, every six months. And um, some of the instructors who teach that content, they also contribute to content. So it's a constant cycle where we are trying to prove that the content that we are showing is is the best in the world. Mm-hmm. And the best validator for that is that one, our students get jobs and uh, companies accept that the product school certification mm-hmm. is good enough for them to give these students a chance. Right. Got it. And then the rest of the, you know, classes or content, are those just the recordings from the events? Do you have like other classes that aren't full certifications, but are more in depth than a one-off talk? Yeah. So anything that is not a certification is free. And in those cases, those talks or webinars, they are shorter. The speaker has more flexibility to pick the topic because it's more about inspiration. But like the actual best practices on how to build digital products and and get a product management job is what we package into our certification and control. And we also do training for the trainers because obviously I have no doubt that a VP of product knows product management, but there's also an important part here. You have to be a good communicator and know that these people are paying money to really learn from you. And this is not just a Q&A where you show up and tell us your life. How are you building community around the classes? So we have like different circles. As you think about our community, when I say that we have over 1 million members, that's the outer circle. Right. Right? That's pretty much anyone who has ever signed up for something totally. at Broad School. Then we have our alumni community. That one has over 20,000 members. And these are people who at some point paid for, for, for one of our certifications. And then we also have another inner circle, which is the product leaders who participate at Pro School. That's, that's kind of the supply. And they also need to feel connected because they are spending a lot of time. And uh, when we started, we didn't have that type of instructor community because it was just me and my friends. Right. Now we have a dedicated people taking care of, of them as well. Very cool. Do you call them instructors or teachers? Instructors. Or, or uh, speakers? Uh, so never teachers, because I always, I always say that we believe that the best teachers are practitioners. And it's absolutely critical that every single person who teaches at product school keeps their full-time job as a product leader at a top company. Right. So someone who speaks at one of your daily events, for example, or at one of your conferences, they, they are considered a part of your instructor community now? Yes, Got it. What do you do for them? How do you actually create community for them or connect them to each other? So actually today we launched uh, something called Product School Pro, which is a dedicated community just for those instructors. Because before we used to live on a Slack channel Mm -hmm. and it was harder. And I, I almost knew everyone by name. So it was, you know, very personal. Now that we are bigger and there are more people taking care of that community, we invested in a platform to better engage with them, where there are also dedicated discussion forums for them. There are these, there are resources for them because it's not just about aspiring PMs trying to get jobs. These product leaders also want to get promotions. They also want to get connected to others. So totally. it took me time 
to really understand their needs. Yeah. But now we have at least we have one person in the company that is our community manager for all of our speakers and instructors. What do they do? What like what what are they actually doing in that space that you're hosting for them? So one is this person is managing our private community for them. No, I mean the um the instructors. And I ask because like you know, we, we've tried to do things like that before where we try to connect our speakers to each other. But as you know, like speakers are people with like the least amount of time and sometimes the least amount of need of, you know, I don't know, educational support. So what are the things that you're finding your instructors need that they're coming to your community for? So a couple of things. One, and it was very surprising to me, they are sometimes looking for jobs too, obviously at a, at a higher level. They would ping me saying, hey, Carlos, I'm ready for my next VP job. I was like, wow, that's interesting. I thought that you would never need our help because you're hyper-connected, but they, everyone needs, needs a hand. So I started connecting them personally with recruiting uh, firms or with other companies that literally came to me directly saying, we are hiring a director of product, not just an aspiring or product manager, like at different levels. So I started doing that type of matchmaking myself. Mm -hmm. Now we are better structuring that, although we still rely on recruiting firms. We're not trying to become a recruiting company, at least yet. So that was number one. Then they also want to, some of them are extremely passionate about giving back to the community. And they say, Mm -hmm. I want to teach every single Saturday. (laughs) And I also want to build curriculum and like be my guest. So for this type of people, we also need to make sure that they feel hurt and that nothing falls through the cracks. There's obviously people who are less engaged. They just want to give a talk every once a year and that's it. And that's fine. I'm not trying to push them to do more than, than what they want. Right. But those are usually the two most things. Sometimes they want an intro to someone and if they see that I am connected, I'm more than happy to do it. But you're right. And this lack group that we have for them didn't work because mm. yes, I put a bunch of cool people there and then what, right? Yeah, right. So now we're we're learning. I don't think we have figured this out, but definitely employment opportunities is is a big one for them. Cool. What what platform are you using? We are using Mighty Networks. Nice. That's what we use for CMX Pro as well. Great platform. And I'm assuming you do a lot of community stuff for the students who participate, definitely in the certifications, right? Because they're going through cohorts together, kind of like our accelerator experience, right? Exactly. So... We were part of 500 startups, but I was also part of two accelerator programs. One in Chile called Startup Chile before yeah, 500. Yeah, great program. Mm-hmm. Really good one. And then in Europe, uh, in Spain, I was part of another one. So I always said I, I'm hyper accelerated because I've been part of three accelerator programs in, in three different continents. You got so, me beat. I, I've done two, both in the US. <laughs> but So I, I learned a lot about this type of model and I, and I like to implement some of those practices and then the bootcamp movement in general, it's very interesting. Right. When we started, we claimed to be the first non-coding bootcamp right. because there were so many of them promising people coding jobs. And for me, coming from a coding background, I know that not everyone wants to spend the rest of their life coding. Right. So hmm. I think there are some good lessons learned that we can take from bootcamps, from startup accelerators, even from traditional education system. But at the end of the day, we also need to kind of co-create a platform that works for our audience. Right. What does that look like? So. Well, first, how, how often are you doing a cohort for the certification? Oh, wow. Um, at least there's so many happening in parallel because all of the cohorts are live online. Right, exactly. So some of them are optimized for Europe. Some of them are optimized for the East Coast in the US or West Coast. Right. At any given time, we may have between 5 to 15. Running simultaneously. Yeah. But so so one of them is the, what do you say, the product management certification? Yeah. 
So how many times does that run per year, like each one? So last last year, we ran almost 200 cohorts. Of one certification or of all of them? Uh, of all of them. So last year, we graduated almost a little bit over 2,000 students. Right. So how, how often does one one of the certifications run per year? Well, we have classes starting at least at least every other week. Okay. So there's never a shortage of, of classes. We keep them very small. And I think that's another key point here. It's not a massive course where people show up and you don't know if they're checking out their social media or really paying attention. Right, right. These are very small cohorts for up to 20 students. And we up really to 20. Have you a, cap it at 20? We cap it at 20. And there is... Uh, why 20? Yeah, uh, we, we literally experimented with... Uh, we went from 10 up to 20. At some point, it breaks. So it's a magic number for us. Cool. Uh, we are also playing around with maybe introducing some TAs that would help us, but I don't want to sacrifice quality. You know, like I'm... Sure. And for me, that's so... That's the key of, of what we're building. So one lead instructor, up to 20 students in a, in a live setting. And then, of course, they have the team behind the scenes to provide career support, access to on-demand materials, but that's that's a standard setup. And that's the same thing that applies to any other certification that we do, no matter if it's the first one or the third one. Right. So you're running these groups of 20. And so over that time, they're taking live classes from the instructor. How, how often are the live instructions? So we have three options. One is, uh, we call it weekend program. So it's Saturdays in the morning. The other option is uh, weeknights, which is typically Tuesdays and Thursdays after work. Oh, cool. And then we have an accelerated format, which is literally Monday through Friday, as if it's a full-time job. Oh, wow. Because uh, either some people who uh, don't have a job prefer to do it this way, or some people who have a job but are being sponsored by the company mm-hmm. want their employees cool. to do it during business hours. Very cool. And so, okay, so they're taking those instructions either daily or over the weekend, and then are you providing like, I guess again, mentorship? What are the other community elements of the educational experience? Yeah, so everything starts with the lead instructor. That's their personal mentor that's going to share the journey with them. Mm-hmm. Even after graduation, they still have access uh, one-on-one to that instructor, but we they have access to all of our guest speakers. They have access to our, uh, we call it programs team. They take care of uh, career support. Mm-hmm. So some of the questions that students have are not about product. They are about resume or about asking for an introduction to a company. So we try to take care of all of that as well. And they interact with each other, the students. Do you have like a chat space for them as well? Yes, we we use um, Slack and we obviously create like private channels per cohort. There's a private channel for the alumni community and then there's another one for the extended community. Perfect, that makes a lot of sense. Very cool. Last question on this, and then I I wanna switch gears a little bit as we wrap up. Do you create the content for these certifications or does the instructor create all the content? We create the content. So we have a dedicated education team with instructional designers, subject matter experts, uh, designers, and uh, videographers as well for for some of the interactions uh, with the slides. Uh And of course, we rely on some of the instructors as subject matter experts. So some of the instructors who actually teach they also contribute to curriculum, but everything has to ha- go through an educational lens. Like when I started the company, I had a PowerPoint, <laughs> right? And I would show up. Now, every single thing is so structured that the way we, we build it is like, you, you can't just be a good product manager. You also need to understand how to create good content and teach. Right. So that's why we have a team for that. Yeah, so so this you know head of product from whatever company is teaching 
is the instructor for their certification. So they have to learn the content first and then be able to teach it. Yeah, we train the train. We have a, a person who's dedicated to training the trainers. And uh, of course, instructors have some wiggle room to introduce some of their war stories right. and, and things. But at the same time, we don't want to make it so hard on them that they can't just do it. So they show up, they learn it, and then they show up and present that content and they can share their own color and flavor to it. Are they usually working full-time while they do this on the side? or They're all working full-time. That's a, a criteria for, for hiding them. And uh, the reality is that over 50% of the instructors who teach once, they repeat, which makes it easier for everyone. That's very cool. Yeah, it sounds like a big time commitment. So I'm like curious why someone who's a head of product at some big tech company takes the time to do this. Mm -hmm. That's the secret sauce of product school, right? So <laughs> yes, um, I think it's my obsession with quality that we're not now trying to create an Amazon for education where suddenly we're going to start teaching things that are not about product management or we or, or a chief product officer at Uber is going to be on the same page as someone who is not at the same level. Mm -hmm. So think of it as masterclass, but for product management. Totally. We're literally targeting the best of the best in what we know. And we stay, we try to stay within our lane. And I think instructors appreciate that to, to have that attention to them. And honestly, this is not for everybody. Totally. It's education, right? So a lot of people will say, no, I'm busy and I get it. <laughs> but there are some people out there who connect with this at such a deep level. They're like, God, I wish I had this when I was getting started. Totally. I really want to give back. But, you know, I don't want to set up a website, take care of enrollment. I just want to show up and, you yeah. know, do what I'm best. And teach. Yeah, that's awesome. You're giving me a lot of inspiration. It rings a lot, of, uh, very true for what we see in the CMX community as well. So lots of great ideas. Do you pay the certification teachers, uh, instructors? We do, we do. Cool. but it's never the decision making factor. Yeah, it's more about fair compensation. Do you ever pay uh, speakers or instructors from your daily events or other kinds of events? For free events, the speakers participate for free because I we don't monetize that directly and, and it's very low commitment, literally 30 minutes and we take care of mm -hmm putting them in front of the audience, but obviously for the paid offerings, it's only fair to also compensate the instructors. It's a much bigger commitment. Mm -hmm. Got it. Are there any, uh, are there any revenue numbers you'd be willing to share on, on the business as a whole? <laughs> well, I can tell you that, uh, we've been profitable since the beginning and, uh, growing year over year. Um, currently now that everything is online, this is accelerating our business even more because, uh, people want to connect totally. even though they can't get out and uh, product management is, is hot it's really hot what can i say if you look at the numbers these days there's so many companies still hiding the, the world is, is becoming more digital and product managers are in the first row to lead that right. type of transformation got it so in the millions oh yeah more or less than 10 million i can't disclose that. <laughs> all right i found the line uh and the reason i'm asking is not to put you on the spot um i just I think it's really exciting to see so many entrepreneurs turn to community as as a focus now and building community-centric businesses. Um, and there's still like, some people think of it as like, well, this is small business, right? It's, it's not really something that we can grow or scale, but it'll be a nice community business. And I think you are an example. Uh, just seeing the amount of kind of operations you have, you get an idea of how big your business is. And it's a great example of like community business is not a small business and, and you can actually scale it a lot. Definitely. I didn't start with that mindset, to be honest. 
And I think sure, that's right. probably what helped me get to Exa- where we yeah. are today. <laughs> Most community entrepreneurs really do. They're not like trying to get rich by starting a community. They start a community, and you've, but you do want to figure out how to monetize and make it sustainable so that you can continue to grow and have the impact that you want to have. And and I community builders should be very successful in their work and business. And I hope we move past the days where community builders feel like they have to sacrifice financial security or success in order to build community. Yeah. And I would say, I think I am a community builder in my own company or however you want to call it. Like I love this stuff. I I participate with, with a lot of the speakers and instructors. I give talks. I try to be there. If you ping me on Slack or LinkedIn, I'm going to respond, you know, like, and I, I think this is a team sport. Totally. A hundred percent. And so last question, a little bit of a different gear. You have pretty deep insight into the world of product uh, an extremely deep insight into the world of product and community. What are the things that you would recommend to a community team who's trying to work better with their product team? How how can community drive product innovation? That's a great question because we typically see the intersection between product and engineering, product and design, right? or even product and marketing. But I think a community is a little bit underrated. So one thing that actually worked for us internally for our community team was to use a, an external product when we were trying to create Product School Pro, for example. So we are relying on mighty networks. And that was an opportunity for the marketing team to be self-sufficient and get some quick wins. And then as soon as this started getting traction, obviously, then we could have a conversation with product, show, hey, look at how much value our community is getting here. Obviously, this is a white label solution. It doesn't really give us all the flexibility that we want. Now we can talk about what else we can do, what type of other resources we can invest to take that community to the next level. So I think there is no excuse these days to really start something. There's so many low code, no code tools. You can start a blog. You can part, even you don't even need to start anything. The good thing is you can go to Quora.com and start answering questions. <laughs> mm. So for me, it's creating that type of mindset that you don't need to be an engineer to really get started. And then once you're able to to prove something that, that works, then of course, engineers will be more inclined to to see how we can collaborate. Mm. Yeah, I mean, community managers are no no strangers to having to be scrappy with, with limited tools, unfortunately, often because they don't have enough budget. Um, but I think it is also a mindset that community builders have. They, they just figure it out. So it sounds like what you're saying is community is an effective way of testing out new kind of products or features or experiences that may you may want to build into your product, um, but you can validate that first in, in a more kind of scrappy way with the community. Definitely. And honestly, you can be very powerful with some of those scrappy tools because if you start connecting them using Zapier, for example, or other type of APIs that don't require code, mm. you can automate a lot of processes. You can really scale fast. Now, the danger with all of this automation is you can lose a little bit of the human factor that got you to where mm-hmm. you are. So for me, the challenge sometimes it's more about how can we still be human and keep the quality while growing fast. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's where a community can come in. So you're not just building product in a bubble. Do you see like product teams bringing in community or bringing in community teams into kind of the product development cycle? Not enough, to be honest. I think there's an opportunity there to have a better relationship between um, marketing or community and, and product. 
I think there's too much obsession over shipping, 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 shipping features mm -hmm. and uh, not enough on really refining what you have mm -hmm. and make it work better. Awesome. All right, cool. Well, we're going to move into our rapid fire question round, everyone's favorite part of the show. You ready? It's going to be quick questions, quick answers. How much time do I have for questions? Not necessarily easy questions. You, you can take as much time to think as you want, but your answer should be relatively brief. Okay, let's do it. What's your favorite book that you like to recommend to others? My book, of course. It's called The Product Book. I published it in 2017 and it became a bestseller on Amazon. Awesome. Uh, what I, the reason why I like it is because it's very tactical. And I think there's a lot of books out there about how to hack your resume and how to hack your mock interviews. But the reality is that you also need to learn how to do your job. Totally. Is there another book that you like to recommend to people? I'm currently reading um, Ben Horowitz's latest book, You Are What You Do. Uh -huh. I think it's terrible. I'm trying to learn more about building communities and, and keeping and building cultures for larger organizations. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I haven't read that one yet. I've read some of his older books, but I um, have to check that one out. What's your favorite community that you're a part of that's not your own? It's called Leaders in Tech. I'm part of a, a CEO peer group that was created by a um, Stanford uh, business school professor called Carol Robin, which is incredible because uh, we get together once a month, only eight CEOs, to talk about feelings and talk about life and family and some of the things that we don't talk enough on a daily basis and we tend to forget, at least myself. So I find it extremely useful to have a safe space where I can cry, where I can celebrate, where I can ask an honest question and where I can show up the way I am. I love that. Leaders in tech? Mm -hmm. Maybe I should join that. I need a good cry. <laughs> uh, in one sentence, how do you define community? Business. For me, I started a business which is community-led. And that's, that's like a good representation. Like There has to be a return at some point on the community, unless you are creating a nonprofit or something different. But I think there has to be a way to be financially sustainable. Because if you only create a community for the sake of it, but you can't really feed the person who is building the community, then it's not going to be community. So I, I strongly believe that there is a, an opportunity to build sustainable communities. Love it. Awesome. I agree with that sentiment. What's one like go-to kind of trick or tip for engaging a community? It could be an online event, like something you do in your online events to make them more engaging or in any online space. You know what I do? I, I show up. I text people, literally, either a private message on LinkedIn or a text message or something. And I say, it's me. How are you doing? How can I help? And some people don't believe it. They're like, no, no. How is it possible that the CEO <laughs> is sending me a message? No, no. It's me. And I'm here. And I love that. Um, I like to, to surprise people this way. So you just like randomly choose members and just message them and say, what's up? Or, or no, when I see an active member and I personally go send them a message and say, thank you for your comment or congratulate them for, for an achievement or literally mm -hmm. being there and sending them a private message from my account so they know it's me and I'm seeing everything. Love it. All right. Last question. If you're on your deathbed today and you could only leave one piece of life advice behind for all the future generations... What would that advice be? In one word, I think yes, or two words, say yes. I think that's what it took us on this crazy journey. It's taking the risk to show up in a different country and uh, build something that nobody did before, create a certification for the entire world. <laughs> so why not, right? I don't want to regret. I love it. Say yes. 
That's great advice for 2020. Lots of people needing to change up careers and adapt a lot of things in their life, but it brings a lot of new opportunities. So love that advice. Awesome. Carlos, this was amazing. Uh, where can people find you, uh, Product School, your book? Wh- where should people go to continue to follow you and learn from you? Yes. Yeah, so I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. You can connect with me there. And then for uh, product management resources, then just go to our website, productschool.com. Awesome. Love it. Well, thanks again for joining me, man. It, it's been really awesome to see your journey since our early days in 500 and seeing uh, how you've grown your community and, and been really thoughtful about building a community-centric business. I've uh, been watching from the sidelines from a, for a while. And it's really just awesome to see great community entrepreneurs that's been on this grind for a while before it was cool. Um, I think there's a lot of great community entrepreneurs coming out now, and I think a lot of them are going to follow in your footsteps. I know I, I learned a ton from this episode that I'm going to run back to my community team now and say, listen to this episode. This is what we should be doing. So can't thank you enough for taking the time to share your insights and for the community you're building. Shout out to you, David, because I know how hard you, you've been working for all these years before this was a thing, even before CMX and we, how you were talking about community and uh, already evangelizing on that. So I look forward to continue building cool communities together. Awesome, man. Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. See you all next time on the Masters of Community. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.